So hold on to those thoughts or those words in your head and I'm going to tell you, tell you a story. Once upon a time there was a village, a small village that had been built on the edge of a river. Everyone in the village had uh, work to do, was the way that the village was structured up. Some, some people were responsible for planting and growing and tending and harvesting the food. Some people were responsible for cooking it. Others were responsible for looking after the littlest children. The main uh, industry of the village was blanket making, so there were groups of people who were responsible for, for doing that. And all sorts of people also responsible for teaching the older children how to grow the food and harvest the food and cook the food and make the blankets and care for the small children. So there was purpose and something to do for people in the village. One day, one of the villagers who was on the harvesting team, she, her back was sore and she leant on her shovel and uh, just gazing out across the river, and something caught her eye. She looked closer into the river and she said, is that a baby? Is that a baby floating down the river? And as she was wondering that, she heard a cry and she looked upstream and saw two more what looked like babies floating down the river. So she called out to the people around her and she said, hey, can... Can anyone else see the babies? And actually, interestingly, some of the people quite close to her who must have heard her, they just kept their heads down, digging, digging, digging. But one man looked up and he looked across at the river and he said, yeah, I can see the baby. And another woman who was tending a campfire, she looked up and she said, yeah, see those three and look up around the bend. There's a couple more coming around there as well. So by this stage, there were um, a, a group of people gathered at the edge of the river around the woman who'd first pointed out about these babies. And somebody said, well, how long have the babies been floating down the river, for heaven's sake? And uh, nobody knew, although a couple of people said, you know what? Last week, or was it the week before, I thought I saw something in the river. But I was really busy. Uh, you know, it was harvest time and I had a wheelbarrow full and I didn't actually stop to look. But now that I'm seeing the babies, I'm wondering... Have they been floating down the river for a little while? So quite a group had gathered by the river by now, and they quickly started pulling out the babies that they could see in the river. And before long, the village got themselves organised. They built lookout towers on either side of the river. They set up, um, you know, rostered, got a good old roster going, and uh, they had swimming teams so that 24-7 there would be a group of people that uh, could go into the river to save the babies. Then they got really fancy, and they got a zip line, like a you know, flying fox across the river with a basket, so they could scoop up more babies and get more babies to safety quickly. And the number of babies floating down the river didn't decrease, it actually seemed to increase. And so the, the villagers had to build orphanages and of course they had to grow more food and they had to harvest more food and cook more food and they had to make more blankets and teach more children how to do all of those things. And that's what life became in the village. They used to hold a monthly village meeting and one day at the village meeting, somebody sat there in one of the chairs and kind of had a puzzled look on his face. And he, someone said, Jim, what are you thinking? And he, he said, well, actually, I've got a question. Why are the babies floating down the river? We don't know, someone else said. And the first guy said, well, maybe we should go and see who's throwing the babies in. <laughs> Some people nodded. You know, and going, yes, my goodness, why didn't we think of that? Of course we should. And other people said, oh, no, that's a slippery slope. You don't want to go and find out about that sort of thing. I mean, for starters, what's going to happen to all these babies that are floating down the stream now? We need, we're all pushed. We need everybody here to be grabbing these babies out of the river. And the debate went on for some time. So in the end, the, 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 they decided they had to have a vote. They put it to the vote. 
Do we send a group of people up, upstream to see who's throwing the babies in, or do we just keep our heads in this space and pull the babies out as fast as we can? So I want you to imagine that you were a for a moment, and you've got to vote. With the person next to you, tell them what you'd vote and why. <laughs> okay. Oh, there's a finger pointing happening here. She's telling you how to vote. <laughs> Quite probably, actually. <laughs> okay, so this is, dear God, I hope so, a makeup story. <laughs> and it was actually constructed with, one, with a purpose in mind. I think there's a lot you can unpack in this story, but the purpose of the story was to try and help people like us understand the difference between two things. The difference between benevolence or compassion and kindness and justice. That was the purpose of the story. So it was kindness and compassion, what we call benevolence, that motivated the villagers to rescue the babies. And let me say clearly, that is a good thing. We need benevolence. We need kindness and compassion. It, it was even a heroic thing and a sign that those people cared about what was right and wrong. You know, they cared enough to pull the babies out of the river. They knew it wasn't right that you let a baby float by, as presumably to, to drown, so that their sense of justice was certainly involved in that. But they started thinking about big picture matters of justice when someone asked, why is this happening? Who is doing this? I think that was a much more defining heroic moment in the life of the villagers. So I want to say this morning, benevolence is definitely part of justice. I'm not bagging out benevolence. Benevolence is part of justice, but benevolence is not justice. Not by itself. So, what is there? Maybe justice is people getting what, what they deserve, whether it be reward or punishment. I mean, that's how we hope courtrooms work. And, uh, you know, sometimes people talk about that, that, that natural sense of wanting people to have a, a hurt or a pain inflicted upon them that equals the hurt or the pain that they caused. It's why some people will uh, support the death penalty. I don't personally, but you, you can understand why, why some people want to do that. We see it played out in our homes. You know, when your brother starts the fight and you both get sent to timeout, you will yell, that's not fair. <laughs> true it's not fair or true that you yell it out? <laughs> Bit of both. Well, my, I was a much more compliant child, so I just mumbled under my breath, that's not fair. <laughs> But uh, some people would yell it out. Okay, so um, they, 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 they call that uh, retributive justice. And I want to say this morning that retributive justice, so you know, punishment according to what you've done, it is part of justice also sometimes, but it is not justice. Benevolence isn't justice. Retribution isn't justice. So maybe justice is making sure that everyone is treated um, equally, you know, without favour that advantages them over others. Again, we hope that is true in the courtroom. Um, 
you know, we expect that laws will be applied without giving advantage to certain people. And it, we see it play out at home, don't we? If you're a parent of kids of, you know, at least primary school age, and, you know, there's a, there's a, a treat. I mean, in my days, this won't be a treat anymore, I know, but we, at Christmas time was the only time we had Coke. And, you know, you, you wanted to be the one that poured it. So you'd say, please let me, can I pour, can I pour, can I pour? And my mum would say every time, sure, Karen, you can pour, but your brother and sister get to choose their glass first. That's distributive justice. Because <laughs> I want to pour it, oh, look, there's an inch higher in my one. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we get, I guess, the understanding of what distributive justice is. And I think distributive justice is sometimes part of justice, but it's not justice. Benevolence, retribution, uh, f uh, fair or equal distribution isn't justice. And I think that we can see that in God's story, in God's view, this same, same sort of thing. Now, okay, where are we going to hear God's story from, or, or how do we know about God's story? Clearly, we know something about God's story from the Bible. But we also know about God's story from our history and our faith traditions, and we know about God's story and God's view, even from our own experiences of God, which are mediated uh, by his own, own spirit. So when we look at all those things, it seems that benevolence, Reward and punishment, which is retribution, and impartial fairness, so distributive justice, they are certainly part of the way that God sees justice. But the Bible, tradition, our history, and our own experience tells us that God has a much broader understanding of justice than this. And it's what one a theologian called Christopher Marshall describes as restorative justice. That's a better description of God's justice. So I want to think about that for just a little bit. Okay, so violence and injustice go hand in hand, don't they? They've been part of the human story from very early on. Some theologians say, actually, that it, to some extent, injustice was part of the human experience from the, from the very beginning because of the presence of the snake that you know, uh, represents evil in the, in the Garden of Eden story, and because of the fact that animals would die. But whether or not you want to, uh, we could debate that one, whether or not you want to accept that, you would probably accept the fact that injustice has been part of human history from the very, very early days. And for those of us who uh, have Christian faith, one of the very early um, and most significant reckonings with injustice that we see in the story of God is what God did out of his compassion and mercy and love for the people of Israel. He freed them from the Egyptians. And you can see that theme of restorative justice there. He took them out of the old and he put them into a new land which was much more like the world had been at the beginning. And that theme of justice that restores, it runs right through the Old Testament. That's what the law we can sort of turn our noses up a little bit at the law, but that's, that was the purpose of the law that God gave his people, to show people how to live justly personally and in community. So to think of some of those laws. The law of Jubilee, um, the one that the Israelite people lived by, you read about it in Leviticus 25, and every 50 years, all the land was to go back to its original landowner. And so you can see that had the, the, the result of Nobody could amass land <laughs> um, to unfair proportions. So all the land went back to its original owner. There were the laws of credit that said that any Israelite in need had to be offered a loan, had to pay it back, but at the seventh year, whatever hadn't been paid back was forgiven. 
and back to a clean slate. You read about that in Deuteronomy. There were the laws of harvest. Two of these I particularly love. If someone was hungry, they had to be given access to food. And if someone didn't own land, when it came to harvest time, they were allowed to go and be part of the harvest on someone else's land. So you see how the law that God gave wasn't satisfied with people who had plenty just kind of benevolently giving something of their excess to people who had less. That was important, but that wasn't enough for the law. The law was about justice, and justice requires something much more than a response that eases an immediate need without addressing the reason for the need in the first place, without um, ad addressing what needs to be addressed so, so people can flourish. I loved seeing that on the slide in the, that coach presentation earlier. So God's people started disregarding this law and they, they did the things that the law was supposed to protect against and they accumulated wealth at the expense of other people and then along came the prophets. And they spoke almost without exception of the injustices that the poor were being forced to experience in their daily life. Now, back then, as it is today, anyone, in a sense, can have injustice visited upon their life. You know, any of us can get our houses robbed or fall ill. It was the same back then, but the prophets weren't talking about that kind of could happen to any of us, any of us injustice. They were focused in on the injustice that was a daily life reality for people because of the way other people had chosen to live. Did you see that difference? And some of that daily injustice was acted out in other laws, other than the law God gave, that the rich uh, upper class made. Laws like those Isaiah talked about, which actually meant that if, some, if a, a, a woman widowed or if children lost both their parents, the family of origin, the family of the father or husband, could evict them from their home and their livelihood. They had no rights, and it happened. Some of the daily injustice was acted out by corruption in the courthouses and, you know, the rules, there was no sliding scales, so poor people were asked to, to pay taxes that, that would take everything they had and put them in debt to the, you know, to, for their tax. And when they might go into court, if, if someone got brave enough to stand up and say, you know what, that's really not fair, well, the people with the, the power and the money just bribed the court officials to rule in their favour. So it went on. Uh, Amos talks a lot about that. So the prophets, they speak against this injustice where it is someone's daily life again and again. And they just constantly said in different ways to communities, the way you treat the poor and oppressed is an indicator of whether or not you are just people. Not just people, as in only human beings, but just, as in full of justice people. And the prophets, they, so they, they kept saying that, they kept saying that and they kept saying, and someone is coming who is going to deal with this, who is going to make it so that everybody can live in a just community and flourish in that space. Best to pay heed. It's going to happen whether or not you get with the program. It's going to happen. And that brings us to the second defining event for reckoning with injustice, which is the birth of Jesus Christ and his life and death and all that happened in that space, his resurrection, as we talked about last week, to life in a new body that is fitted for life in the home that we dream about. So Jesus was the one the prophets had been talking about. Okay, tracking okay? 
All right, so the guys that told the story particularly of Jesus' life is particularly Matthew, Mark and Luke. Uh, some interesting things in the way that they, they shape up their story. Let's take Luke to start with. He tells this particular story about Jesus. He says, one day Jesus returned to his hometown and uh, he was there over the Sabbath, so he went into the synagogue as a good Jew would and he was actually given uh, the scroll to read, the Old Testament scripture to read. And it was Isaiah that was given him. And so he opened up Isaiah. I don't know where I am with all my slides now. Here we go. He opened up the scroll of Isaiah and he read these words to the people. The spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favour had come. And he rolled up the scroll. Can you just imagine this scene? He handed it back to the attendant and then he went to sit, as was the way preachers preached. He went to sit. He looked around at the people intently and he began to speak to them, starting by saying, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Now that event actually happened a fair way into Jesus' ministry, but if you look at Luke's recount of Jesus' life, he puts it right back right at the beginning. You know, it comes, turns up in chapter 4 of Luke's account. And he does that because it's the lens that he uses to give shape to his story of Jesus. And Matthew does a similar thing. He starts his account by reference to Jesus in uh, who he is as a descendant of King David. And then Mark very early on describes Jesus as the son of God, which in those days was another phrase for king. So these guys were really, really keen. The guys who were telling the story of Jesus' life, they were keen to make it clear that Jesus is the justice-bringing king that the prophets had been talking about. They wanted that to be really clear. And then, so Jesus is here, and like the prophets, he talked a lot about injustice. He gave a lot of attention to injustice for the poor and the widowed and the orphaned, just like the prophets had. But if you know anything of the story, Jesus added groups to these people. He, he added the expectation of justice for other groups of people. Specifically, if you read the story of his life, he added uh, expectation of, of justice for those who were being exploited, excluded or marginalised in his day, which were women, slaves, it was people with disabilities, people who were considered untouchable, so that would be menstruating women or shepherds, anyone who touched dead animals, people like tax collectors who were untouchable because of the work that they did, and, and the demon-possessed. We might kind of think, oh, demon-possession, what's that about? You know, it, it, in some parts of the world today, it is a massive thing, and it certainly was a thing that happened in that place, and it, it just caused people to be outcast. Okay, so Jesus, he, he followed on what the prophets had said about uh, widows and the poor, um, and also added other people that were marginalised in his society. But let's not stop there. Let's go on a little more and follow the story into what people experienced and thought and said and wrote after Jesus had um, left this earth and gone back to be with his Father God. And we know a lot about that from the letters that fill up most of the um, second part of the Bible. They were letters that were written to local churches. And they certainly carry on the idea of justice as we've seen so far. 
So justice for the poor, the widowed, the orphaned, and justice for those that Jesus added. Remember those groups? For women, for slaves, for people with disabilities, for the untouchables and the demon-possessed. But, another but... After Jesus' death and resurrection, after he had appeared to so many people and then gone with his new body back to be with God, people had an aha moment. People realised that the category that Jesus had expanded on while he was on earth was actually even broader. People realised that God had acted so that all humankind and all of creation can be liberated from injustice. Even the injustice we have done ourselves. Even the injustice we do ourselves. One of the letter writers is called Paul. And he spends a lot of time in the letter that he wrote to the church in Rome talking about the full extent of justice as we now can see it. And he says this, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. And then this most beautiful sentence, and we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. I think that's a beautiful phrase. And my heart breaks at the way I and we so often want to add so much to that sentence. Once that has happened, yes, God does, Jesus does transforming work in us, but I don't know. Have you noticed that tendency? Is it just me? Sometimes I want to add some things to that sentence so that actually it's not just, and this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are and as long as you have dealt with A, B, C, D and E. That is actually a beautiful, liberating sentence in its own right. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. Okay, I'm getting to the end. At the beginning, I asked the question, what is justice? And I'm hoping that you might have got a little glimmer, at least, of some ideas about justice, particularly, uh, importantly, uh, in God's view. Uh, last week, I borrowed a fair bit from uh, Scott Higgins' language, and I'm doing the same this week. And I'm going to uh, borrow particularly from him in this next bit to try and summarise three aspects to God's justice that I hope we've seen a glimpse of this morning. The first is that God's justice is action that liberates people and creation from those people, systems and powers that keep them from flourishing. Coach is just a classic example of that. The coach program, or the Christians Against Poverty program, other things that we do in that space, they matter because they are this. They are this aspect of justice. It was so great to hear that this morning. Thank you, Simon. And the second thing, God's justice is a focus on the needs of people who experience disrespect, exclusion, violations of their dignity and denial of access to resources on a daily and ongoing basis. So this is picking up the people who live in, unju in injustice. So not the odd injustice that might be visited upon me in my 
affluent, comfortable life, but people whose life is shaped by injustice. So I made some close-to-home examples for us so it becomes real to us. I think it is our neighbours, we know particularly in our community, who are shut in and isolated, not able to access relational resource or other resources either. It is, in our community, refugees. It is people with mental health issues. It is people, as we know, we took that action last year, caught up with domestic violence. And further afield, it's people like those we've raised that money for in Nepal. It's people like the women and girls where Jess and Jordan from here are, are, are working to give them an opportunity to choose something other than a sex trade. I think those sorts of things fall into this category. And the third thing, God's justice is the liberation of human beings and all creation from enslavement to sin, decay and death. And I, I, I hope you can see clearly that this category encompasses the other two. They're kind of not you know, mutually exclusive in any way. And uh, clearly this aspect of justice is God's work in Jesus. I'm not pretending this is something we can do. But the way God is, he actually invites us to consider joining him in this space. And I think we do join him in this space when we, what we say and what we do and who we are points to Jesus. When what we say and what we do and who we are points to God's love for all people and all creation. So again, I want to give you some practical examples. What does this space look like if we are joining God in this space? I think it, looks, it can be as simple as it's the way we treat each other when we have different opinions. It is certainly the telling of the gospel, too. Telling the gospel story, absolutely, in this space. I also think it is things like leading the way in creating beautiful art. I think it's leading the way in creating safe relational spaces. I think that's part of this aspect of justice that God invites us to join him in. He's done the work of dealing with death and decay and evil, but he joins us to join, uh, invites us to join him in this space. It's like we said last week, to start living the dream of the home to, that is to come that is here to some extent now because of Jesus. So Jesus lived and breathed justice. And that's what heroes do. So a question for us. <laughs> What about us? What about you and me? Do, do we live and breathe justice? I really want that to be true of my life. I want it to be true of my life because God's extraordinary love, which I see best in Jesus, has changed me and is changing me. Lots of work to do. I realise that very, very fully. But it's so transformative and changing for me. And I know it's the same for many of you here. And so it's like a no-brainer, isn't it? it seems, doesn't it just seem right that, that we then would live our lives making decisions and taking actions that will help people and all of creation be freed from the forces that will keep them from flourishing? Doesn't it make sense? And we're not going to get it right every time as individuals or even as a church as we make decisions about how we use our time and spend our money. And, you know, we've got different opinions even in this church about how we should go about doing that. And we certainly can't do what only God has done and what only God will finish completely when Jesus comes again. I'm not suggesting that for a moment. But I'm hopeful and encouraged because I reckon that if we're courageous enough to make God's restorative justice our focus, 
if we're wise enough to constantly ask the Holy Spirit to guide us in that place. So, so, so um, wise enough to ask the Holy Spirit uh, if we are um, courageous enough to, to ask God to help us have restorative justice as our focus, wise enough to lean into the Holy Spirit. And then I think there's this, brave enough to actually step out and do something. Then I think we will be people. We will continue to be people, as this church has been throughout its history, who help other people and creation flourish in the name of our good, good God. And I just think that's a life worth living. Some of you know this, sorry, we're going a bit over time. I moved up here in 2005 and started walking around the streets here and I just knew, I'm, I'm not particularly this sort of person, but I had one of those experiences of seeing things in my head and knowing things in my heart. And I just knew that just as this place has been, this, this little community here, this church community here, was being called to continue to step up and be a leader in this space, be a centre point for good community, be a place that does dream of home and a place where it's full of people who live and breathe justice. That's why I love being part of this community and the small ways that we're already involved in that. And I'm looking forward to how we can step out more courageously and wisely and bravely into that space. It's a life worth living.